mistake that people make is they overcomplicate things. They're like, well, this isn't enough, and let me let me find some data, and let me do this, and let me do this, let me do this. It's like, man, why are you turning this into a science project? Just sell the damn deal. We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Smarter Destiny podcast, where this time we have my friend Ali Mirza on the show. Ali is the founder and CEO at Rose Garden Consulting, a name that means nothing, and we're going to get into that and why he picked it. It's a seven-figure business that teaches big companies to become bigger by selling better. So they really focus in on your sales team and making them better. And they do that through a strength in behavioral economics, teaching why people make decisions, what makes them tick, and how you can leverage that understanding to sell better. And we're talking higher ticket items as well, at least 10K kind of ticket prices, B2B. But in this podcast, we are gonna get into selling, and we're gonna apply it to the daily life and the daily routines of us, the listeners, because in life, so much is a negotiation. And do you want, you want to be coming out on the right side of that? But Rose Garden Consulting is Colby and Prince certified. We're gonna get into what that means. I think they might be psychological tests. We're gonna get into that. And he has a book coming out in the summer with the original VP of Salesforce, the number one VP of Salesforce, Aaron Ross called Predictable Closing, which I think is going to be a bestseller. It sounds amazing. So without further ado, let's welcome Ali to the show. Ali, how's it going? Oh, it's going well. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Absolutely. Whereabouts in the world are you, Ali? I am here in Atlanta, Georgia. I like that place. We, uh, ATL, thick as hell. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we, we, we hung out in the Coca-Cola factory and, you know, saw the circus at the, uh, at the, um, the Falcons venue and, you know, did all the touristy shit. Uh, so it was a football game going on then, huh? Yeah. Is that, is that, yeah. is that football? No, that's a joke because the Falcons are a joke. <laughs> oh, look at you. Ah, see, I got a little bit of wit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah but we're going to, we're going to play on that wit, I think. Anyway. <laughs> what we like to do on the show is we like to go back to a point which really, you know, the sort of moldings and makings and struggle that really turned you into the entrepreneurial legend that you are today, because at some point you might not have been. And there's probably a story there. If you've got a time in mind, could you take us back to that time? And really tell us, you know, your origin story. Where did you come from? Well, I won't bore you where I came from, but I'll, I'll start with, uh, I, I still remember it clear as day. I mean, I was 19 years old. I was uh, hanging out. I was in university. I was hanging out at the university center. One of my, one of my friends from high school came up to me and he asked me, uh, you know, what are you doing for the summer? You need a summer job, et cetera. I was like, yeah, I need some money. I got to, you know, take some girls, take them out for some ice cream. You got to pay for that stuff. Right. Uh, you know, not, not one of those dudes that'll, uh, you know, split the bill. So I was like, yeah, I need, I need a summer job. So, um, so he's just like, why don't we, what I'm selling insurance and making good money. Why don't you come and sell insurance with me? So I was like, all right, let's do that. Uh, little did I know I was getting myself into a little bit of a racket there. Uh, if any of you have ever sold insurance, it, it is a terrible job. So for whatever reason, I decided to continue doing it for four years. Um, so I was the guy that would go door to door selling life insurance. And there was, you know, it was, you didn't, you never knew me before. I would drop off in a small town in rural Canada of all places. I'm a Canadian descent. Uh, anyway, so then 
you go and sell insurance. You got sell to get inside of their house. You get into their house. You never saw me before. And then I, in two hours, I'd get your uh, social security. I'd get your, uh, you know, medical history and I get your bank information. I'd leave. You have life insurance, but you never saw me again. That's the world that came from. So I did that for four years. Eventually became a sales, uh, sales manager there, led a team of 50 reps. Uh, I was the number, I was the number one. We had the number one sales team in the country. Uh, I was the number two, uh, rep in the country, uh, still while being a sales manager at the same time. Um, and, um, so I thought I was God's gift to her, uh, you know, to everyone, everything, I'm, you know, 22, 23 years old, making more money than I can, I have anything to do with, uh, developed myself, a I wouldn't call, uh, a gambling problem, but definitely a love for blackjack. Um, and so, uh, anyways, just became a total asshole and that's when I got fired. And so, and uh, so they, they asked me, well, you know what, Ali, I don't think we really need your services anymore. So that was kind of like the little bit of a wake up call where I realized I was like, okay, well, it doesn't matter how much you can sell. It doesn't matter how much money you're making. I mean, you still have to be a decent human. And that was kind of my, my thing. And, um, part, I mean, so part of it was a little bit of a wake up call, but the other part of it really was more of an understanding of myself because at the end of the day, while yes, I was being an asshole and yes, I was doing a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have been doing and, and, you know, wasn't being the team player that I needed to, I was doing that because I really wasn't happy working for somebody else. I mean, that's really what it, what it came from. Right. And so I realized at that point that, look, man, I'm just a salesman. I don't like all this bureaucracy. I don't want to deal with any of that. Let me just sell. And that's effectively when I started up Rose Garden. I started up Rose Garden because like I said, I'm a salesman. I just want to sell. And so we actually started off as an outsourced, uh, you know, like a hired gun. So you had a product service solution to sell. You didn't, you know, you don't want to run a sales team. So I said, okay, I'll come in, but put us on retainer and I'll sell for you and pay me a kicker when we, when, when we close the deal. So that's what happened. And we did that for about know, three years or so. It was working out great until uh, one of my clients says to me, he's like, Ali, look, I mean, things are going great and all, but you get hit by a bus tomorrow. We're back to square one. And I said to him, well, that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. I'll, I'll be dead, right? I mean, like, what, what do I care? And he's like, well, why don't you write down what you do for us? And I said, well, that wasn't our original engagement. So why don't you pay me for it? And he said, yes. And so I was like, oh, wait, hang on. And that was another light bulb moment where I realized, I was like, okay, this is infinitely more scalable. And so ever since then, we've been going into organizations, really understanding what makes them tick, what, why people buy their services and solutions. And a lot of times we find that most people, they have it wrong. They're just too close to the trees to see the forest. And so when we come in from an outside perspective, we really get a holistic understanding. And that's really kind of where, you know, I got into what we do today is kind of, you know, a couple bumps along the way. But, you know, eventually it all straightens out. Nice. Okay, so so you, you were fishing for people and giving them fish. And at some point, a client, a forward-thinking client said, actually, it'd be really cool if you could teach me how to fish because we, 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 we do need fish moving forward and, wow. you know, you could be eaten yep. or hit by a bus. And so that's where that, that pivot came from, and that's amazing. Now, in the introduction, we touched upon uh, Rose Garden Consulting. And actually, before we went live, I said, hey, so what does that mean? I mean, I can see you've got like a badass rose on uh, on the wall behind you. Obviously, it's, it's, it's deep and meaningful to you, right? It has a lot of meaning and, and probably means something significant in sales. No, it means it means literally nothing. I mean, so I the name came originally from because I needed to name the company something, and so then I 
uh, you know, the, 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 uh, so I was a big Lakers fan growing up and Lakers in the early two thousands were always playing the Portland trailblazers and then the finals and, and, and all throughout the playoffs and the blazers played at the, the Rose garden arena. So I always thought that was a nice name and I'm a fundamental, I'm a firm believer that a name of a product or, or, or a company means absolutely nothing, no different than what it is that you're selling means absolutely nothing. It's all about the story and the pageantry you put behind it and, and how, how you make somebody feel that it will affect them. The material, um, you know, the utility of the product in itself is only what you put onto it. So therefore, I just said, well, we're just going to pick a name that means absolutely nothing, which is Rose Garden Consulting. It means absolutely nothing. It just, it's, that's the parallel that we drew there. Nice. And practice, practice what you preach to, to demonstrate that you can still sell to your clients without actually having a name that means anything. We'll be getting right back into it. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Let me ask you something. What percentage of your revenue comes from email? If it's less than 20%, then you may well be leaving money on the table. With my brand, newbrew.com, 20% of our revenue is driven by email. Why? Because I myself got out of the way and let the email experts handle it. You see, with previous brands, email was often an afterthought, right? I would rely on sales, email sales, 20% off today, 15% off today, and rarely spared the time to do it properly. You know, split testing subject lines, keeping the list hygiene high, nurturing our sending reputation, and figuring out the ways to engage our list and drive sales without doing sales or discounts or scarcity just by engaging them. So who are these experts? Well, in our case, they're a fantastic agency from Canada called And Bam, a fantastic name by the way. And they've literally helped hundreds of brand owners, many of whom have been on this very show, generate consistently high revenue from email. Right now, AmBam are offering free account audits to Smarter Destiny listeners. They'll go through your email account in detail and make personalized recommendations to boost your email sales. If you then want to take the leap and work with them, then I highly recommend you do so, but you don't need to. Head to smarterdestiny.com BAM and book a call. I highly recommend it. All right on with the show all right so so you've you've got your foot in the door um and you've you've done that many a time before with the door-to-door live intro which i mean hi i'm here to talk to you about death your death actually specifically i mean you know that sounds like fun it sounds like a fun summer job that 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 wasn't my pitch my oh man my pitch was beautiful what was your pitch you you, want to hear it yeah i do i I think i can still do it was it eight yeah oh geez it's been like 10 years but okay so I'd knock on your door, you'd open the door, I'd stick my hand out, I'd say, hi, my name is Ali, and you are? And you'd you know, say your name. And then so I'd be like, okay, hey, Martin, I'm actually just in the area right now speaking to all of your neighbors about how the Canadian government doesn't take care of families the way it once used to. Would I be, uh, would I be able to show you a program that my, my company's come up with that would help augment some of those costs? Knock on wood, God forbid, should your family need those services? All I need is five minutes of your time in a corner of your kitchen table. As soon as you say that, you stick your arm inside of their house, which kind of like creates a little bit of a way for you to get in there. You look down and you start wiping your feet. You'd be shocked how many people would just turn their bodies and just let this strange, tall, brown man just walk into their home. And I was just like, all right, let's do it. So that was my pitch. I never said anything about life insurance. I never said anything about anything. Some people would ask me, it was like, 
are you going to try and sell me something? I'm like, the last thing I'm going to do is try and sell you something. <laughs> that was accurate. Yeah. That would be the last thing I would do. As soon as I get the sale, I get the hell out of there. So <laughs> It's weird. It's weird how that sort of created a little bit of a, um, you know, a, a, an inside conflict about, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and triggered a, a life change there. But I absolutely love that because, um, and, and and weirdly, I'm interested as well because uh, I used to be, like my company used to do a little bit of lead generation for for a life insurance company. And actually we, we were situated right next to what I can only describe as a zoo where the salesmen were. Right, selling selling the the life insurance, but I've I've seen it on both sides. I might I definitely think they could have benefited um, from from your advice and guidance. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting um, place. But obviously, your clients they they sell anything under the sun, and to a certain degree, it doesn't matter because the principles are the same. So one of the things we we teed up was that your company is rooted in behavioral economics. What does that mean? So behavioral economics is the study of how human beings make decisions and why they make the decisions they make. It is, it is ridiculous to believe that if you tell somebody or give somebody a logical solution and tell them, hey, do X, Y, and Z, and they do it because it makes sense and the data told you to, it, if you think that's going to work, you're insane. You absolutely have to be insane or you learn how to sell at the toilet store. Like, it just makes no sense. It does not. Because if that was the case, we would not all drive around in $100,000 cars, live in million-dollar homes that we can't afford, uh, eat ourselves to death, and then never save any money for retirement. Because all of those things are the opposite of what is self-serving. People do what – people have absolutely no clue or reason as to why they do what they do, but they don't behave off of logic. They, they behave and they do what they do, uh, and their decisions are driven by emotion and their unconscious – behaviors and their unconscious motivators everything that they do is all post-rationalization so that when they do something then they retroactively try and figure out why they did it and then they they attribute some sort of rational logical solution towards well I actually i did it because of x y and z reason hey you didn't you have absolutely no nine times out of ten you have absolutely no clue why you did what you did so behavioral economics does not sit there and believe that the human being is a rational agent making rational decisions in a perfect environment because that's not what happens. Unfortunately, most sales organizations sell based off of logic and data and all of that, which is why 90% of their deals truly, uh, true, true numbers, um, go to um, indecision, right? So typically no decision is made. It's not that they went to a competitor. It's not that they, uh, you know, whatever. It's that they've just made no decision. Um, and, and so if you understood how to motivate somebody to making a decision, if you understood, okay, well, how do I uh, speak to their unconscious mind and make them want to buy? You're, you're going you're to have a lot more success. So uh, that, that's effectively all of our sales strategies that we come up with, all of the scripts that we write, everything that we do. Logic is an uh, logic and data is is an afterthought. You have to package everything with that. But if you're starting there, it's boring. You need to first start with okay, why would this person buy? Okay, when you understand that and you look for that nuance, oh man, it's like shooting fish in a barrel after that. So let's unpack that. So you you you've um, arrived on day one of this of of the gig with with this new company, and you need to figure out pretty quickly what it is uh, that they're selling, the, the why actually that their their customers buy 
what they're selling. Where do you start? So you always start with who their ideal client is, right? You figure out who their ideal client is. And so it's like the old, the old adage. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm still torn on this. I'm still, you know, thinking about where do I really land? And I, and unfortunately it might be sound like a cop-out answer, but I really do land a little bit in the middle and, and, and on, on both sides of the All fence. Right, so there's the, the fence. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's, um, so there's uh, the old adage where uh, it says, you know, person doesn't buy a drill, they buy the quarter inch hole, right? So if they if they have a need for a quarter inch hole, that's the only reason why they buy the drill. That's accurate, right? I mean, that's that's effectively uncovering the pain and the need and the solution, et cetera. The solution being the drill. Yeah. Well, there's another school of thought that, that says bullshit. It says incorrect. A man buys a drill because it makes him feel like a man. Once he buys the drill, he walks around his house looking for things to drill. And I'm like, well... That's not inaccurate, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that do a lot of things where they're just like, yeah, but I don't know when I'd use it, but I, I, I want to use it, right? Um, like, so like everyone back in the day was the bow flex, right? Everyone would buy a bow flex. Now it's the Peloton. Everyone buys a Peloton because it's the cool thing to do. And then you know, everyone's still fat as shit and not riding their Peloton. Um, I can say that because I'm one of those. I have a Peloton <laughs> that I don't ride. <laughs> but it's so... it. there's, there's definitely people in the audience who go, oh, fuck, he's, yeah, he's yeah. nailed it. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like, what it, what a, so I'm, I'm on both sides of that, right? So you, I, th I believe you have to satisfy both needs. If there is no need for a quarter-inch hole, it becomes very difficult. But again, if they don't want to use the drill and run around their house, and if it doesn't make them feel like a man and they don't feel the power, they don't hear the rev, Right. It's also kind of like, uh, I don't know if they're actually going to, um, you know, they're, they're going to buy it or, or then it just becomes a utility at that point. And then they're going to buy either the cheapest or the, you know, the thing that's going to uh, be kind of like the, 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 the quickest fit. Right. Uh, then branding won't really make any make any sense or make any difference. Right. Just commoditize at that point. So. All of that to say that how do we evaluate it? We just simply start asking them, okay, well, why would you buy it, right? We start asking, start asking our client, why would you buy it? What would you do with it? And we start really starting to understand all the use cases. And then once you understand all the different use cases, you take that and then you start interviewing the, the, the actual clients. And then you start to see how much those use cases actually match up. And nine times out of 10, you find there is very little overlap. What you think and why you think they're buying it is actually completely opposite as to why they are, are buying it. And it's, it's, it's not as on the nose as just simply asking, why did you buy it, right? Or asking the client, uh, why did you buy it? Um, you just have to start talking to them about their experience with the service, with the product, with the solution and saying, okay, well, what, what happened? Walk me through this and, and just start getting them to tell you stories. As you start to get stories and you get enough of them, you know, typically around between 10 to 30 good stories in one-on-one -on -one settings, not in a, in a focus group, that won't work. Uh, focus group actually skews it. It's, it's actually really bad. Um, but yeah, so you do that. You start to really understand, okay, why do these people buy? And then you start to draw parallels. Now, what I will tell you is if you have zero experience in doing this, don't do it because you're not going to get it. Like there's so much nuance and there is so much domain expertise that you need to, that is required and able to be able to pick up on the pulse of the conversation. So unfortunately, I think I just went around in a huge circle and probably didn't directly answer your question. Unfortunately, there's just no real like simple way to do it. It really requires a lot of research and just a lot of asking questions and trying to discover. And then typically somebody will accidentally say something that they think is immaterial. 
which usually you know cracks the whole code i get that so there's it's, it's a little bit intangible but like at some point there'll be a little nugget and it, and if you're tuned in to to spot it then then you can start you know doubling down on on that nugget hang on you just said something about feeling manly but we're talking about a drill you just said something about how it vibrates in your hand well let's go into that and okay so i i, I get that and actually one of the, one of the things i mean you know this is this is you know beginner level sales but it's it's the it's the the layers of why like oh do, you know why did you get a drill uh, to you know whatever okay why and then they say that and yeah, but why do you do want that? And, and and you get down into those those layers. But when you're you said right, okay, so you need to, actually you need to be quite um quite tuned in, and this isn't something that a, a beginner can can just get in. Are there questions that you really enjoy asking in these kind of interviews with the, with the end user that have a good you know you're like I, I like asking that question because actually it works quite well for understanding um i mean of course you're going to ask a lot of the who what how why you know type of questions a lot of why questions but i think it's more it, it, the question is typically very domain specific however i think it's the phrasing that is dependent upon whether or not you elicit the right response um meaning so one, one of my language crutches is um that i use quite often that i think serves me quite well is uh help me understand right when you when you phrase whatever the question is, I mean, the question is going to be what the question is going to be. When you phrase it in a way with, where you say, help me understand, they're not answering, they are explaining. And so it just unlocks a little different part of their brain where, or, or they're at least directionally focused in a, in a different manner. Um, so that's one thing that I typically use. Um, another, another one is, uh, typically I like to use this one when they're, when they give me some just dumbass answer where I'm like, okay, you, I don't know where that answer came from. You're either telling me something that you think I want or like, cause it's completely incongruent with everything else or, or it's just, you know, completely off, off base. So you can't say that. Right. I mean, like I get, I'm talking freely to you, but unfortunately I can't say that to my clients, clients. <laughs> so I'd be like, well, hang on. I'm going to reframe what you, what I think you meant to say. Right. That's a very dangerous and slippery slope because now I can start to, you know, curtail their their language and their and their and their answers. So you have to be very careful. Um, a lot of times, I'll also just say, um, "May I shift your mindset a little bit?" Right, and then right away, the, you know, it kind of levels out and, and zeroes out the conversation. Um, and because, the, and the reason why you would do that is because if they're going off on a tangent and you're like, "Oh, geez," like they're giving me answers that they're going down a path that. I know either to be incorrect, untrue, or just completely immaterial, right? You want to zero out that conversation and get it back to stasis and then, and then redirect it. So, I mean, it's really more about the control of the conversation rather than the questions you ask. And also how you ask the questions, in my opinion, are more important than what questions you ask because you effectively need to elicit a particular vibe and feeling, right? Um, and so if they have no respect for you, they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to respect uh, the answers that they give you, they're just going to half-ass them. So, uh, versus if they do have respect for you, then they're going to say, okay, well, let me really go in and, and, and give a logical answer. Again, that also has, you know, potential to backfire where they try and get overly complicated. And what is it? Arkham's, Arkham's law where, you know, the simplest solution is probably the best solution or the right solution. So again, like I said, there's just so much nuance in trying to figure out why somebody would buy. I mean, it's, 
mean, there's there's literally hundreds of books on it. But but you said once you've interviewed sort of ten, you start seeing recurring threads across potentially. potentially. Yeah, I mean, depending on on how uh, zeroed in uh, their their you know buyer personas are, but you know, typically between ten to thirty. If you don't have enough trending information between ten to thirty, you're talking to too varied of a sample. Um, again, that's not enough to you know go and double down and make a two hundred million dollar decision off of speaking to thirty people. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that's going to be the first, you know, initial batch of ideas that you can then start to um, you know toss around and 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 start uh, workshopping off of, right? That's a way to get yourself out of your own group think or your own, uh, you know, uh, lens and, and, and prevent me marketing. It's to more focus on, okay, what's, you know, just, just to get a general pulse of what else is happening or try and reframe your own perspective. Nice. That's not market. I'm not, this, this is not how you market research. I personally don't believe in market research. I think most market research is garbage. Um, but again. You know, tell that to the nerds so you've 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 you're, that's that's your target that's that's who you're trying to or the, or the quantity of clients you're trying to reach do you ever have any trouble getting those end clients to actually give you their time to 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 explain mm, no i mean because i mean I, I mean if you don't have 30 clients and yes i'm gonna have a difficulty trying to talk to 30 clients but um typically not i, I find that most people when appropriately positioned like to help that doesn't mean that when i send out 30 emails to your past clients i want to get 30 responses no i mean it, it, that in itself is sales everything is sales right so i mean you have to you know have enough opportunities at it but i mean usually i mean most organizations that are making 5 10 20 million 30 million they will have 10 to 30 people that i could speak with sometimes after speaking to about 10 15 people i'm like okay i got more than enough information sometimes after speaking to 25 people i'm like i got I got a few different buckets and things can be categorized, but I'm not feeling strong enough about any of them. So you got to speak to a few more, but at some point you're going to just have to cut it off because otherwise, I mean, then it's just analysis process. You're just going to keep digging and keep digging and keep digging. Yeah. Okay. So Make can, a decision. can we, can we come up with a hypothetical or maybe, maybe this is an actual yeah. client, um, a hypothetical why that you've uncovered during these, these, these um, sessions and you're now feeling comfortable about the why can we come up with a, a example why so that we can then take that to the next stage which is the 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 scripts i guess or the or the or the angles well so i mean i'll just give you the most uh basic one because i mean like there there are there's so many where it could get very like esoteric and maybe and like you know it becomes altruistic i'll just give you the most basic and simplest example i can it's with an actual client and uh, one that we're about to create a case study for so it was a video production or, organization they sold exclusive. They sell exclusively to uh, attorneys, um, and and um, you know build out videos or, or or shoot videos for attorneys, and then they market and then they do growth coaching on top of that. Um, so they're by far and away the most expensive. By far and away the most expensive in all three categories, compared to any of their competitors. Um, and so the what we ultimately did was we figured out, okay, what do these clients want? And these are lawyers, these are attorneys, these are not very, you know, sophisticated, sophisticated individuals in a personal or a pleasure sense, right? A lot of these are ego driven maniacs, who realize that what they want is more money, right? So they, like I said, this is the most simplest, basic example yeah. I can give. 
There's a lot more other ones that can get a lot more esoteric. So they want more money. Okay, well, how do they get more money? Getting better conversion off of their marketing. Well, this is a marketing organization. So, okay, well, how do we now? Okay, I'll, I'll say something else and then I'll finish this thought. Is, have you heard the expression, if you are, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, right? If you, uh, the, the, there is no such thing as a win-win, okay? It, what are you, in, in the fifth grade you learn in physics, there is no, uh, matter cannot be created, nor can it be destroyed, okay? So how do you create market share? You have to steal it. So in order for you to steal market share, you, you have to have an enemy, okay? Anyone who wants these win-win solutions, okay, it might be a win-win between you and your client, but somebody else has to lose, okay? Somebody has to lose. Um, and, 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 you know, so anyways, I won't go, I won't go too down. Okay. So go circling back to my example. So, um, these attorneys, they want more money. Um, how do we get the more money? We talk about conversions. You're already spending hundreds of thousands of dollars per month in, in, in some instances, millions of dollars per month in marketing, getting that conversion and increasing that conversion is the most important thing. So that was where we cruxed everything up on. So from there, we, uh, when we would sell video production, I'll give just one example. I won't go into the other two, two buckets, but when we sold video production, we would say, okay, look, you know what? There's a many, many talented cinematographers and production crews out there, all of whom use the exact same 4K cameras we do. They have just as nice lenses and they are very talented as well. Um, so they're going to create you a very great video as well. Our videos are not great, are not created just for the sake of creating a video. We actually do something a little bit different. The difference between us and them is that our videos are great are created for conversion. So we create a, uh, so then, then we go into talking about how we create a story arc and how there's points of conversion and, and, and ensuring that there is buy-in all along the way. And then we talk about the, you know, story arc and then et cetera, et cetera. And we kind of really lay that out for them. And what we have effectively done is said, it put everybody else in one bucket and differentiated ourselves and put us in another bucket saying that everybody else would create a great video for you. We will create a conversion tool for you. And that was that simple. I shit you not. Just that little simple change in the, in the scripting caused everyone, uh, most clients, to just start buying so many more videos because it was no longer just strictly an ego play. They could rationale and justify that, oh, no, this is just me ensuring that my marketing is going to now work. I'm spending, you know, let's just call it $700,000 a month in marketing between PPC and radio and billboards and TVs, et cetera. Um, Okay, this makes sense. So we took their average deal value from $15,000, which was a one-time video purchase, to $77,000 inside of three months. In three months, their average deal value went from $15,000 to $77,000 because people were just buying way more videos right on the front end because we positioned it differently, right? So it was no longer a quarter-inch hole we were selling. They wanted a drill. Well, it's like, this is the most powerful drill that I can run around and drill as many holes as I want. That was the slight change we made. Like I said, this is all about nuance. You understand the nuance. It, it changes the world. So just that simple. Does that answer your question? That does answer my question. And, and I love applying it to like a real world example, real world scenario. What what caught me off guard for a second, but I, I think we, 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 you know, we nailed it eventually. Um, not eventually. Eventually is a bad word there. We, we nailed it soon after. Um, <laughs> was they want more money. Now, 
yes, they would want more money. But did did you did you in this particular example figure out like yeah, but why? Like why do attorneys want more money? Or is it in this scenario is that enough? Because we're just trying to we're talking conversions. Um, it's a good question. The an- the, the the right answer is it depends. It depends on what it is you're selling, how it is you're selling, what the what the sales cycle looks like, how deep it goes, who your competitors are. So it really depends on how refined you have to get. I mean, candidly, you know, the competitors in in this market were just terrible. So it was really easy to sell against them. Now, if they were actually, you know, worthy adversaries, we probably would have to go a little bit deeper. But I mean, fortunately for us, um, you know, it was like I said, it was shooting fish in a bucket. Uh, so. Now, if somebody else decides to level up and, and really come at them, then we probably will have to go a little bit deeper, right? And, and but I think I heard Gary Vee say this one time, respect the mediocrity of the game. Most people are not very smart, okay? They, they just aren't, okay? Understand how dumb the average person is, okay? I think, I think this is actually a George Carlin quote, right? Yeah. You, you, you realize how stupid the average person is. Now, understand half of all the people that you meet are dumber than that, right? So when you, the mistake that people make is they overcomplicate things. They're like, well, this isn't enough. And let me, let me find some data. And let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. It's like, man, why are you turning this into a science project? Just sell the damn deal. I'm reminded of, um, you watch Seinfeld? Uh, no. Oh, you need to start watching Seinfeld. Um, it was a sh- the show has been canceled for a long time. <laughs> That's because they need Catch to up. start watching. Um, is there a new season or like? I don't know. There's like I don't know, I don't know nine seasons, maybe more, uh, maybe twelve. But so there's like this episode where Jerry starts bootlegging movies, um, and then he's like gets like really into it, and he wants like like uh, you know all this creative control and this and that. And then the the bootlegger that's making Jerry bootlegger, he's just like, just shoot the damn video so I can get it out there on the street. And that's how I feel with some of these guys that turn these sales, uh, you know, sales departments into these science projects with all these conversion metrics and data. Don't get me wrong, that stuff's important. But if you're not selling anything, what are you optimizing? Right? At the end of the day, you could polish a turd, but it's still a turd, right? Like, I mean, figure something out that actually makes sense. Once if once it makes sense, then optimize it. But these guys that go on this 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 hunt to optimize data i'm like do you even know that to be true how do you know that well the data proves i'm like well no the data is derivative it's only going to tell you what you already know you're going to optimize what you know to be the baseline but if that's but what if your baseline is incorrect how do you know the baseline to be true that's a mistake i mean but remember those who don't know how to do love to make little you know science projects and make themselves busy doing other things that make them appear busy so, so we talked about um, everything. Everything in life is is a negotiation, right? Or, or everything in life, uh, sales sales is gonna benefit you. So you've we're now at the stage where you you've come up with a script. You said, right, we're gonna we're gonna throw some stones at, at our rival video companies who we're, we're gonna compliment them. We're gonna build them up a little bit. Hey, I've got great oh, cameras in the or most whatever. respectful way possible. Yes, but they're just going to create you a nice video that doesn't really do anything. It's just a nice video. Right. Okay. So you've, you've come up with, you've come up with your script, this, this iteration. Well now, uh, surely you've got to convince a bunch of people being in your role. Now you've got to convince not only the, the person in charge at this company, that this is the right angle, but you've then got to convince a sales force army to, to believe in it enough to be able to sell it properly. Is there some sort of, uh, trick or, no. or or strategy in that 
no um we only work with organizations that are ready um so i mean like here's the thing man i'm not hat in hand oh fucking oliver twist sir please may I have some more right like no no no, no. we don't work that way the, or, the only people that we work with are the ones that actually want true change. Um, so we're, we're hyper-selective with our clients. We only work with growth-minded uh, individuals that actually want to grow and that are visionaries. A visionary is not concerned with the past. A visionary is concerned about the future. So when somebody comes to me and tells me, okay, Ali, show me all the data that proves that this works. That, I already know that's a bad fit. I want to, how do you, you don't have data for something that doesn't exist, okay? You, you don't. I want something that no one else has done before and I want the data to, to prove. Are you insane? You can't go north and south at the same time. So no, we don't do that. Um, we have, um, you need you need buy-in when you don't have control. You need buy-in when you don't have respect. When I tell you something's going to work, it will work. And you know what? I'm also not afraid to hop on the phone and show you how it works. I, you want to hear a crazy stat? I do. There's about six organizations that I've never worked at that I hold the sales records for. <laughs> just just from the, from these show tells mm-hmm. nice. just because i've never i i they're, they're, they're clients of ours and yeah, they, yeah i get their their sales reps chirping in my ear well that'll never work i'm like you know what give me the damn phone when i'm not afraid to hop on the phone and close your deal for you and then throw you your commission rip you're gonna you, you're gonna respect me and so so that i mean that's just what it boils down to Right. Is, is for us to we have zero problem in showing you that our that our process works. Right. We will actually hop on the phone and prove to you. Now, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay big time for it. But but that's what it boils down to is. So we don't work with organizations that are um, that are afraid We work with organizations that really want it. So, um, I mean, I, I, I understand the spirit of your question. Right. Is how, how do you do that? But it we just don't subscribe to that that philosophy. So this this whole notion of. Um, uh, what is it, the change management? We don't believe in it. Uh, Cy Wakeman wrote the book, uh, No Ego. And in No Ego, she talks about um, uh, organizational readiness. And that's all about ha- developing this culture where people understand the only constant is change itself, right? And it goes back to you know Darwin's theory of evolution. Uh, no, not, not Darwin's theory. Um, whatever you, you know what i'm talking about not not the theory of evolution but but basically what, what what charles darwin was talking about is is not survival of the fittest is not about um the strong surviving no incorrect it's about the most adaptable the people that are the most adaptable are the ones that survive and i and i shit you not almost as if i've got a crystal ball in front of me mckinsey bain hbr somebody will do a case study in the not so distant future about this whole COVID-19 pandemic. And I guarantee you the results of their findings will be, um, it was not the companies that had the highest cash reserves. It was not the most profitable. It was not the ones that doubled down or quadrupled on their marketing or the ones that cut all costs, et cetera, that survived incorrect. It was the ones that were the most nimble and adaptable. Those will be the ones that survived period. I like that. Um, And Zoom, of course. Uh, I mean, Zoom and Lysol, I mean, you know, they, they was a gold rush for them. But I mean, but I mean, it almost killed them. What is it? It almost killed the CEO because he had to like, they had to level up real quick. See, 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 that's the thing. Like, I mean, yeah, Zoom, you know, opportunity meets preparedness. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as luck. Yeah. Okay. You know, the COVID happened and, and everyone had to switch to Zoom. But, oh man, I got, I got 
I got lots of opinions on this one, but I mean, like they, they were able to meet the demand. I mean, how many times did it cripple them? Right. I mean, there, how many other organizations could not capitalize on it? Right. And, and, and Rory Sutherland talks about this all the time where he says, you know, the reason why, um, you know, like, like video conferencing has been around for a really long time. Right. The reason why it goes back to what I was talking about is the reason why it didn't take off was because it was positioned as the poor man's in-person meeting yeah. rather than the rich man's phone call. Right. So it's like, oh, I can't hop on a, uh, I can't hop on a plane and come see you across the country. Let's just hop on a video conference. It degraded it hmm. versus if you were like, oh, hey, we're going to have a phone conversation. No, no, no. Let's have a video conversation. Right. And then it elevates it. So, I mean, that it's all life is all about positioning. That's all it is. It's beautiful. All right. So um, who are the clients that you work with and um, what, what kind of uh, tick boxes do they typically tick? Um, in short, who should be who should be reaching out to you right now? Uh, the ones that just give us their credit cards. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I would say most of our clients that we work with really well are the ones that are, you know, they got three to five sales reps. They're doing well. They've got good lead flow, but they know that they have not cracked the nut on on, on their systems and their processes. And they, before they scale their organization, they really want to have a good foundational understanding um, and, and then just have that consistency. So Typically, they're looking for things like, you know, support with their positioning, scripts, comm structure, hiring processes, uh, you know, KPIs, incentives, um, all of that. And, and then overall, just sales culture. Those are our typical clients. Usually, we're working with a lot of marketing agencies, uh, a lot of service-based professionals. Um, we work heavily with a lot of SaaS companies as well. So people that are looking to scale sales teams are, are, are the people that we, we love working with. Beautiful. And if you could generalize, what incentive works the best for incentivizing a sales team well what do they want i mean the, the best short term is money for sure but not money from a constructor so give them cash like literally cash i remember i had i don't i don't have it here i've got it in my car right now but i have a duffel bag a, a, a and a, yeah you come with the pageantry i have a, uh, a louis vuitton bag full of cash um like i mean and that's what motivates salespeople. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, like that's short term. That's not long term. I mean, uh, I, I'd get my balls snipped off by my partner if I told them if I said, "Oh, this is how you motivate people," because we actually are print certified, which is all about like intrinsic motivators um, and and how you actually really figure out like why what makes this person tick. And I mean, <laughs> it is it, what I just said is polar, completely opposite from what they what they expound. So I should not have said that. But yeah, I'll say it. I don't care. I think that's great. And just as well, this isn't a live call because otherwise we've got people at Atlanta going, right, Louis Vuitton bag somewhere in Atlanta. We're going to find it. Um, they'd, they'd be pretty motivated try me. to, to try find me. It. I dare you to try me. <laughs> okay. All right. So where can people find out more about you and what you do? Uh, Rosegardenconsulting.com. Boom. All right. At this point in the show, we like to mix it up. We go into the rapid fire question round. We ask, I ask the questions quickly. You can dawdle, dilly dally, or you can be a straight shooter. It is up to you. Are you up for that? Always. Are you two thumbs up, up for that? Two thumbs up, and I just dropped my pen. (laughs) Yeah. I was wondering why you were holding the pen. I was like, is he writing something or what? No, it just makes you feel like a man. You should never, you should never talk on a, on a call. Like it, it completely changes your, your brain. I mean, there's thousands of different Always hold something in your hands. Look, yeah. I'm going to grab another pen. Ask me the question. Do you, I mean, would it be better to hold something girthier than a pen? 
Why, why are you setting me up, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I usually am. <laughs> I normally hold a baseball bat, right? I mean, that, yeah, that sends a different message. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Now that we're nice and relaxed, let's go into it. If you ever had to start again, how would you make your money? If I had to start again, how I would make my money? Um, I don't know, man. I probably would have... No. Um, poker. Hmm. Yeah, you can't make money right now anymore in poker. But when when I was coming up, that was when online poker was taken off, and I just never paid attention to it. Um, I, that's that's how I would have done it. Would that have been before like the the AI and the machines got involved in it and kind of yeah. rigged it a little bit? It's not it's not the same world it was back in like two thousand and two, two thousand and five. That's when there there were there was serious money to be made. That's that's what I would have done. Nice. What's the most common or biggest mistake leaders make? Uh, accountability they don't hold their people accountable they they let them skate uh they they want to create a happy environment um and then therefore they make irresponsible decisions based off of someone else's happiness happiness does not equal engagement i believe that when you hire an employee you hire some a team member they are not a part of your family they're part of a team and everyone on the team has a responsibility to work towards the goal the biggest mistake leaders make is they allow somebody to exist at an organization that is not pulling their weight because ultimately what that does is it puts more and greater strain on somebody else that is pulling their weight. That is irresponsible behavior on, on a part of a leader. What's your favorite way to hold people accountable? You set clear expectations. You tell them every single day, every single month, exactly what they're supposed to do. And anyone that tells you that that's micromanagement, incorrect. That's a lazy person. High performers and high accountables don't believe in micromanagement. What, how could I possibly, why would I spend time micromanaging you when you're doing your job? That makes, it's illogical. I, it's, I'm micromanaging you because you're not doing your job. Now, you know, it's, it's, it's a very vicious cycle. If I don't create appropriate ex expectations, how can I hold you accountable? You, you, there's no way you could understand what's going on in some, inside my head. You're not a mind reader. So set clear expectations and then hold people accountable to them. Who is a great leader, alive or dead, and why? Putin. Now, I mean, maybe a good person, bad person, but that man has control over the entire fucking world. <laughs> Do you know what? I did an interview yesterday, same answer, but that was the first time we'd had that answer. <laughs> so uh, that's that very interesting to me. It was actually our mutual friend, Zach. So I don't know if you guys have been chatting about it, but... Uh... Oh, that son of a bitch stole that from me. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> How do you hire top talent? Um, you, you put them through a series of assessments, uh, and you, you have to know, well, first of all, you have to define what top talent looks like, what it is, right? It's not this nebulous, weird, like what, first you have to define it. You have to figure out what the cri success criteria are, and then you figure out, okay, well, how do I determine whether this person can or cannot do that? You do that first, then you got a shot of hiring top talent. We utilize a lot of cognitive and affective functions and, and assessments to determine whether or not somebody can do it. We don't like aptitude tests. We, we prefer the Wonderlick. Um, that's how we go from there. How do you evaluate a good business deal? Mm, a good business deal? I don't know, man. I'm not that smart. I don't look at finances. I just, I just swipe my credit card. But earlier on, you said um, there's no such thing as a win-win, right? So we're talking about um, you're, you're, you're in a negotiation uh, with a potential client, maybe, or, or, or some kind of opportunity has come across your your plate, across your lap, across your plate. I don't know if that... Plate. Is it plate? 
I think so. I, I don't want things coming across my lap. <laughs> it's a different kind it's of deal. Uh, Big deal. I, I, Big that deal. type of deal, I'm okay with it. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're talking about that kind of thing, right? Um, maybe someone's trying to negotiate with you. How do you evaluate whether it's good? Uh, it's a good business deal for you? Well, does it does it get me what I want? I mean, I think too many people are focused. That's the thing. Most people have no clue how to make a decision, right? And I'm 100% of the mindset. Indecision, indecisiveness is weakness. So, I mean, so do you know what you want? Do you know how you will get it? And does this deal uh, satisfy those conditions? Most people, they get so caught up in, well, what is this other person doing? And what is this other, well, how is this? Man, stop looking into somebody else's bowl to see if they have more to eat than you. Just focus. The only, that's, I think, what is it? I think I heard Louis C.K. say, but I'm pretty sure, you know, somebody else came up with it. But the only other, the only time you should ever look into somebody else's bowl to see if they've got enough food so that, or if you can give it to them. Don't ever look at, don't ever look at another man's check. Focus on yourself. Does this get me what I want? And if so, then go for it. Period. Nice. How do you identify a good business partner? Hmm. Uh, you have to, you have to be 100% aligned all the time in terms of what the outcome is. If you don't have that, that's not a good business partner. The how, how you get there. It's, it's, it's good to have variability. Um, but um, the outcome needs to be 100% alignment. What is one of your proudest moments? I don't know. I guess I'm supposed to say the, the birth of my daughter. You say you say whatever's honest. I'm about to have a very proud moment in uh, 30 days when I... Uh, I'm a very vindictive and spiteful man. And somebody crossed me and I'm about to have a very good, good... Uh, judgment in about 30 days so that'll be my proudest moment (laughs) what's one interesting fact about you that not many people would know um i'm actually somewhat introverted i'm an ambivert but i as crazy as i sound um when i go home i do nothing like literally i work go home period i don't believe in friends i don't want to have any friends um i've never sipped any alcohol. I don't party. I've never smoked. I've never done any drugs of any kind. Everyone that always meets, I talk a lot about cocaine and heroin. And then, and then, then when somebody meets me and then they actually try to like go out with me and um, I don't do anything. They're like, Oh, that's strange. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm crazy enough without that stuff. I don't need anything. So that's usually probably the, the thing that people are most shocked about me. Hmm. Where do we get to? What daily routines do you have, morning or evening, that have helped make you more successful? Oh, showers. That's probably like I have well, to shower right when I, I wake that. up. Be, 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 no, 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 no. Be clean, or I, like, is there a special? No, I, no, I think I, <laughs> I think I got a problem. Like, I have to, sh- I have to shower right when I wake up. I have to shower before I go to sleep. Otherwise, I can't sleep. Uh, and then I probably shower like three or four times during the day. On top of that, like, I just. I don't know. It's just like some weird cleansing ritual. Like my brain just goes. I just like I just I just feel so relaxed right after shower. Do you ever mess? With, do you ever mess with the temperature? Hot, cold? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes I like I like to get in when it's blistering hot, and then you know get it all the way down until it gets really cold, and then um, I enjoy that. Nice. What book or books changed your mindset or life? Forty Eight Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Any others? 
Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. Uh, I really liked Alchemy by Rory Sutherland. Um, Sapiens was good. Um, right now I'm reading, uh, oh shit, what is it called? It's like, called like Superhuman, but I don't know. I forget what it is. I'm, I'm actually almost done the damn book. Um, some, some about peak performance. Do you, uh, do you listen? Is it digital or is it physical? Both. I like to listen while reading because um, I'm a really slow reader. Uh, I've been told I'm dyslexic. I'm not quite sure about that, but um, uh, I like, so I, I travel, I'm always on planes. Uh, so I like to pop the AirPods in, listen to the book and actually like, you know, read it while I'm, and I just feel like my comprehension is significantly higher when I do that. Is there a trick to like book the, the art of impossible, the art of impossible. If you are a goal driven person, that's what it's called by Stephen Coulter. That's, that's what I'm reading right now. Impossible. It's a great name. Yeah. Is there a is there a, a trick to syncing your bookmarks when when you when you've got a physical book and you're listening to it? Yeah. Uh, you uh, fold the page. <laughs> and and the the di the digital version, the audio, you, that just saves it for you. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. You just pause it. I, mean, I don't know. Just, <laughs> I got no I got no method to it this just madness for you. So I'm, I'm a crazy person. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. Don't ask me for advice. <laughs> What's the most exciting question you spend your time thinking about? You actually want to know the answer? Yeah. If I could get away with murder. Okay. So where where does I mean is, is are you planning something or is it is it a hypothetical or I mean why is that exciting to you? No, you know what? A heist. That I actually would do. Like a bank heist, I would do. I don't think I could ever murder somebody. I don't okay. know. I don't think I could. Um because I mean I watch Dexter and I'm like, hmm. I'm, I'm 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 perfectly fine if there's a few less pedophiles on this planet but uh i don't think i could actually ever do it nor would i but a bank heist you know one two million eh, it's not worth it uh, if you if i could do a billion dollar bank heist that's worth planning so what are you gonna do serve 10 years stock away the money and you come out 10 years you're a billionaire <laughs> so you'd unless you get shanked in prison then you're <laughs> probably one worth it okay what advice would you give your younger self? Everybody else is wrong. You are right. Just keep moving forward. I question myself a lot. Um, and that's, that's what slowed me down. And, and, and the truth is, I was not always right. Nine times out of ten, I was wrong. But the questioning was what slowed me down. My imposter complex, just constantly you know, living in doubt and fear and guilt. But I find that sometimes the people that have less... You know, the less you know about something, the more confident you are. You know, the Dunning-Kruger effect. I just feel like, um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like blind faith and confidence sometimes makes up for a lot. Um, which, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe the questioning got me to where I am and forced me to, to, to reevaluate a lot of things. Who knows? It sounds to me like the, the, the biggest problem there was the indecision, the time it took to... You yeah. know, should I? Shouldn't I? Oh, he think yes. so. Actually, you're right. Do it. You know, go for it. Fail I mean, what, fast. What worst case scenario? It doesn't work out. You learned. Yeah. Best case scenario works out. You learned. Doing nothing is just delaying progress. Yeah. Nothing bothers me more than when people delay progress. You can never hurt my feelings. So just tell me the truth. Just let's move on with our lives. Let's <laughs> do not delay progress. Do you know you what piss my... me off? Delay progress. <laughs> do you know what Myers Briggs uh, you are? What personality type? I don't know, probably the best. Yeah, I, I think they make it very clear that this one's the best one and fuck all the other ones. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, that's I think it's called point. the Ali Mirza one, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I don't know. <laughs> I was just wondering. No, my Colby and I know my print. <laughs> okay. What was your Colby? My Colby, I'm a um, two, three, ten, four. I'm a ten quick start, and I'm a two fact finder. I am reckless as shit. <laughs> what was the biggest challenge starting in business, and how did you overcome it? Realizing how little everybody else knows. I mean, I think when you start in business, you have this understanding or thought that like wow everybody knows so much when in fact most of us don't know very little about what we know about and then almost next to nothing about everything else and so this you walk into situations with this fear um this unnecessary fear and i and i believe that the fear prevents you from asking questions that are going to help you grow that fear um closes off your mind to uh different solutions and then just different, um, you know, neural pathways that, you know, start to connect themselves. And so, which is why you see children have much higher, uh, much better divergent thinking abilities because they lack that fear uh, versus, um, you know, they, they don't have the convergent thinking, uh, you know, uh, their executive function isn't working. And so as well as when you, when you grow up and when you grow up, your executive function of your brain starts working more and more as you're you know, um, brain starts to develop. And then as a result, that fear starts to creep in. And when that fear starts to creep in, it really limits your scope and your ability to be able, it narrows your, your brain. The, the, the most, the best visionaries in the world, you know, maintain that level of divergent thinking. So the Bezos and the, and the, the Musks of the world, like they, they understand how to continue to do that. And, and that's because they, they live in a state of no fear. So, I mean, like, if you're going to ask me when the next question is, what is my mantra for life or at least my mantra for 2021, it is, I fear no man. Like, I will do whatever it is that I want to do. And, you know, let's see where that gets me. Short of murder. Short of murder. We've established that. Like, it's a nice idea, but actually, billion dollar heist, yeah. much better. Okay. Hashtag Dexter. Okay. What unusual or underrated food or drink should more people try out? Oh, Topo Chico. I don't understand why people don't like, I don't understand how that's not drank by everybody all the time. What is Topo Chico? First of all, it's Topo Chico. <laughs> Second of all, it is a carbonated <laughs> beverage that comes in a glass bottle that is absolutely fantastic. Get the lime version. The plain version is okay at best, but the lime version is fantastic. So, Topo Chico. Topo Chico. I'm, Topo I'm, Chico. I'm, I think it's a, think it's like a Mexican Perrier. Okay, so it's it's fizzy water with a hint of lime. If we yeah. wanted to be, you know, dumb you are degrading the brand of Topo Chico so much, young man. It is unbelievable right now. <laughs> so do you, do you jump the border to, 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 to hand pick it up? Or I mean, is it something that's conveniently sold at, at a Whole Foods? Yes, it is it's conveniently sold at a Whole Foods. <laughs> you don't need to heist it or anything. No, no. <laughs> and the final question, it's not about your mantra, but I was pleased to hear it. Nonetheless, final question. What makes you happiest? And thanks for calling me a young man. I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, I'd say complete autonomy. Yeah. Total and complete autonomy. So what does that mean? What does what does what does what does that mean to, to you? Ali will do what Ali wants to do. I don't want to justify myself to anybody. I, I like like I said, we only take on clients that are just like here, go. I mean, like if you you're gonna pay me, you're gonna pay us a lot of money. If you don't trust us, don't pay us because we're not. We're, we're going to ask you questions and we have very specific questions we're going to ask you. We have 
certain requirements for insights that we that you know because if realistically if you had the answer we wouldn't be sitting in front of you so um just let us do it our way and you'll believe me you'll be a lot happier um so i mean total and complete autonomy i just i don't want anyone to tell me what to do if i want if i this is this is america goddammit. If I want to take a hundred thousand dollars and set it on fire, then that is my God-given right to do so. Uh, actually, I know it's illegal, but you get what I'm saying. Is just like I just want to do what I want to do. I I can I fundamentally or physically become ill when I feel restricted. Nice. Have you got that brings us to the end of the uh, the questions? But have you got any asks or requests of the audience listening today? The only thing I will ask is just ask more of your team. You will be shocked and surprised how many more people will give you more just when you ask. But just make sure your ask is very clear. I mean, that's my only ask. I mean, if I just feel that it, ask them to do more. Don't ask them for their opinions. Um, I, and nothing pisses me off more than when somebody says, when I'm on a sales call, I'm talking to somebody, I'm like, oh, man, this, this person's dope. Right? If the person's an idiot, I'm just like, oh, okay, I just want to get off this call. That's very draining. When I speak to somebody that's not, doesn't think the same way I do. It's very draining. But like I speak to someone, I'm like, wow, oh, this this is a this is a good founder. This is a good CEO. They're like minded. And then like, okay, well, let me go ask my team. If I'm like, excuse me, wait, wait, what? <laughs> you need somebody else's permission to grow? Wait, I thought you were an entrepreneur. I thought I thought you owned the company. I apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> you need to ask for your team's permission to see if they want to do more work to line your pockets. What on God's green earth do you think they're going to say? Oh, well, it's really not an initiative for this quarter. Maybe we'll look at it next quarter. You either want to do it or you don't. If your team doesn't want to do it, then you need to get a better team. You need to get a team that is aligned with, with the vision and the mission of the organization. It doesn't mean you have to continue to pay me all, you know, oh, if someone doesn't want to work with Ali or with Rose Garden, oh, well, they're, they're a bad person. No, incorrect. But if you think it's a good idea to work with us, that would imply that it fits your vision and your mission and this, what your goals are. Then why would your team disagree with that? Now, if it does not, then that's one thing. But why do you need to ask for permission? That's the thing I'll never understand. I don't think I, I did. I ask your question. I, I can't remember what your you question did. was. I you did. You've, you've given me a real thinker as well, right there. And and it, yeah, you're absolutely right. If your team disagrees with it, why? 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 Well, you have the wrong team. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't make them bad people, though. That's the thing. It doesn't make them bad people. It, they're just not aligned with your organization, hmm. with the goals of the organization. Period. Be clearer with the goals, and ask for yeah. more. Ask everyone can always do more. Love that. Can always do more. Ali, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's late here, but I've actually had a tremendous amount of fun. Um, you you give zero fucks, no fucks, and and no I think that given. you know that that's a that's a unique gift, particularly in a world of of censorship and fence sitting. And I think that was that was fraudulent when you said that you're going to sit on the fence because I, I that, you don't strike me as 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 one of those chaps that does that. Mm -hmm. um, those listening, Rose Garden Consulting com is where you want to be starting your journey if you want to and you're serious about scaling your sales team and you know meeting meeting ali and, and and seeing how fluffy he is but ali thank you so much for taking the time today to to teach us about sales teach us about your principles and 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 your mission and what you're doing and uh, yeah it's been tremendously fun thanks for sharing thank you brother appreciate it 
Hey there, you incredibly good-looking human. Thanks so much for listening. If you had a good time today and would like more good times in the future, please hit that subscribe button and leave a heartwarming review. I read them all and it will go a long way to help others out there benefit from all the teachings of this show. And if you want to get in touch or otherwise learn more about me, head to martincook.co.uk or smarterdestiny.com. I really appreciate you. You're an incredible human. Until next time, keep crushing.